Boom! There it is, ladies and gentlemen. We're ready to rock and roll. This is the first time we're back in the classroom for the Business Bros Podcast. And uh, leadership is one of those things that's kind of hard to do, whether you're a high school teacher or you're trying to lead adults in the real world. It's a tough gig. But if you're interested in that, this episode's for you. Let's get this one on the road. Here we go. Shut up and sit down. Look, a business can give you everything you want in life. Prestige, wealth, freedom. It can also take everything away from you. This show is for those who are willing to take that risk. These are the real life stories of entrepreneurs. But before we start, I have one small favor to ask. Please leave a comment. It can be advice, critiques, tips, feedback, or share this with someone because your engagement is the most valuable and most powerful form of social currency. So thank you, and welcome to another episode of Business Bros! All right, on today's episode, we are joined by an expert in the field of venture capital and technology entrepreneurship with over 25 years of experience in the industry and a track record of success founding and investing in companies worldwide. Our guest is managing partner of a specialist venture capital fund focused on innovative areas like cybersecurity, cloud infrastructure, and data analytics. He has served as a CEO of several companies in this, in this field and has held board positions with over 30 tech companies and organizations. He's a seasoned advisor to a VC fund, corporate venture capital groups, and startups around the globe. So let's give a warm welcome to the show, Mr. William Kilmer. All right, fire's over. Let's get to it. Mr. Kilmer, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks. It's great to be here. I, I, I don't know how I couldn't be excited with that kind of introduction. Well, that's what we do, man. We love to have some fun. Uh, you know, all we're doing is, is having a conversation, talking about what it is you do. My students are learning about um, creating marketing campaigns for the guests that come on the show. So I'm going to hit you with a bunch of questions so that we can create some fun content. Sound good? All right. Let's do it. Sounds great. All right. So let's start off with the very first one. Simply put, um, if you can describe what it is that you're doing, uh, what it is that you're promoting so that a fifth grader would understand it, what are you up to these days? Okay, wow, that's great. Um, I'm not sure if I can explain it that well, to be honest with you, but here's what I do. And it's a, you know, for me, it's a career. I just never thought that I would have. Um, number one, I'm an investor. I um, What I basically do is run a venture fund where we use money from others that we invest in technology companies. Then we, uh, after we've invested in them, we help them to grow, to develop over time. We hope at some point they're gonna exit, meaning they're gonna either get bought or they're gonna get, um, they're gonna go public on the public stock exchange. And then we take that money and we give it back to our investors and hopefully we get to keep a little bit on the side. Um, in addition to that, I spend a lot of my time actually sitting down with these companies, either on their board or working with the executive team sort of coaching them, helping them to think about their business in unique ways. And then on top of that, I'm also an author of a, of a recent book that just came out a couple of months ago called Transformative. And that book is really around a lot of the work that I do in helping leaders of companies think about how they can create uh, game-changing outcomes for their organizations. So I'm going to try to describe it as simply as possible. When a business starts, they're like a baby. They're infants. They're barely trying to figure out this entrepreneurial space. Hopefully they get to become a teenager. And what you're helping them do is transition to become an adult and, and to be fully functional. Uh, in, in that case, you're taking them public, right? You're, you're helping them grow to a point where 
they can raise capital on their own where they're fully functional. Maybe it's mergers, maybe it's acquisitions, maybe it's bringing in other pieces. Sound about right? Yeah, that's pretty good. You know, the way I look at it is, uh, you know, everybody has great ideas. A lot of people think about starting a company. We work with people that have kind of gotten to that point where they've built a little bit of a product and they say, you know, we've tested this a little. We found people that like it. We need help in order to grow it. And then, you know, we step in, give them a little bit of money, give them some coaching and help. And then, you know, we help them to grow the business from there. Some of the big stories, I think, that uh, when we hear about venture capitalists are things like Apple, right? You hear the story of how Steve Jobs are working out of their garage. Somebody comes over, gives them $50,000, and boom, you have this big company that happens overnight. It looks so easy in the movies, but in real <laughs> life, it doesn't really pan out that way, does it? Oh, man, there's a there's a million overnight successes out there that took you know 10 or 15 or 20 years to create, right? And everybody looks at it and goes, wow, that was an amazing company. You know, and it's amazing how they just built that so quickly. The reality is it's a lot of ups and downs, a lot of hits and misses. And, you know, it just really takes staying with it over time, kind of thinking about what you're doing and, you know, making adjustments as, as you need to. And, you know, for me, the venture capital industry is interesting. There's a, there's a wide range of companies you, you can think about. Yeah, we think about the Apples of the world or the Microsofts of the world. They took venture funding. But also the Starbucks and the Costco's and you know, so many other companies that are out there took venture funding as well. And that helped them to just move faster than they could have on their own. And that's what's exciting is being able to take somebody's great idea and accelerate it with them. When uh, when companies start off, they're not really positioned or set up in a way where they can take on an investor. Usually early on, it's like mom is investing in my company, a brother-in-law is investing in my company, kind of a different kind of investor early on. What does it take for a company to go and find venture capitalists like yourself? What do they have to have in order to get to that level? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And first, you know, I would say, we have to remember, most companies will never take on venture funding. Um, a lot of times, especially today, people treat that as sort of like that's their goal is to you know get funded by a VC. That's not a goal. That's just like putting fuel in your car or in your rocket to make it go a little bit faster. The reality is you know, 99.99% of all companies will be built without venture funding. It may come from you know the founder themselves putting a little bit of money in. As you mentioned, maybe it's getting... Uh, you know, somebody, friends and family to be able to invest or people that are in the in the industry to maybe put in a little bit of money or, you know, just building it kind of without having to invest a lot. For us, you know, we invest in, you know, only a handful of companies. Really, most companies, you know, will never take investment. And that should never be seen as sort of a sign of, of success. But when you are going to get to that point where you're thinking about, should I raise money? You know, I would say there's a couple of things. One is, you've already been able to prove that there's a customer out there that wants to buy your product. And maybe you've been able to show them the product, um, you've gotten them excited about it, maybe they can buy it a little bit, but you really haven't been able to you know, expand to that larger market opportunity. Two is that you have some sort of a business model that is really venture friendly. And I know you guys had somebody on just uh, maybe a month or two ago talking about subscription businesses. Those are the types of businesses that venture investors like because once you've signed somebody up, they keep paying over time. You don't have to win new customers every single month or every single year. And I think, you know, beyond that, uh, one of the big things is you show that there's a big market out there. You may not talk to every customer. You may not know how big the market is, but you can tell by what you've gotten to so far and maybe who's been excited about it that you can prove that there are 
you know, thousands, maybe tens of thousands, millions of people that are interested or would be interested in what you're doing? I mean, <clears throat> ideally that would be great, right? If I knew I had a market, I had customers ready to rock and roll, uh, then I think it would be easy for a, ca a venture capitalist to come in. The As you're describing that, I'm thinking, because we watched it here in class, Shark Tank, right? Shark Tank is an example of some venture capitalists. Now, the people who come on the show are from all different lots of life, right? It could be a product to a service to a bunch of different things that they that they're looking for. You mentioned you only invest in a handful of different types of companies. You like the subscription base. Who's the ideal client? Who's the person that you're looking for? Is it specifically in a niche, a particular vertical, or is it you know you're you're kind of looking at things in general and then the group kind of picks from there? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, I love Shark Tank. I love those kinds of, uh, you know, opportunities because that shows really, I think, some of the initial funding that a company might get if they're thinking about really trying to scale and grow it quickly. And that is an angel investor, somebody who comes in, looks at it, has some business experience. They're just really, really excited about what you're doing. Maybe they know the market that you're in or can help you in some way. That's always, to me, the best sort of ground level funding that you want to get in a company before you go talk to a VC, um, because you're going to get somebody who's just really kind of aligned with you and wants to roll up their sleeves and, and help you. And then, you know, once you kind of get beyond that and you're talking to venture investors, you're usually talking to people that, you know, will have some expertise in your area. They know that market. And, you know, oftentimes when we talk about venture, we talk about, you know, what can they add besides money? You want to be able to get their investment, but really what you're trying to tap is the network, the connections that they have, maybe their knowledge of the industry, how they can help you uh, with getting your um, with getting more customers, you know, things that are really going to help to accelerate your business. When a company does decide to go for finding money, like uh, through venture capitalists, there's always these other parts of of that aspect that maybe they're not quite 100% aware of. Uh, things like giving up equity, or maybe the current owner isn't qualified to be the new CEO. Uh, you see this over and over again as companies start to get bigger and bigger. The company outgrows the leadership. Uh, maybe they don't have as much equity as they were looking for at the beginning. What are some of those things that when you talk to business owners that come to the table that they may not quite have full understanding of that they need clarification as their business is growing? Yeah, you've covered a lot of them already. You know, first is obviously when you're selling a little piece of your, your company for an investment, um, you know, you're giving away a little slice of it uh, today and the value that you've created. Um, the reason why you do that is that you're hoping that you're going to grow that pie. So, you know, you think about a, you know, a pizza, right? And, you know, you're going to give a little slice away to somebody. But in this case, you're going to get more back because that pizza is going to get bigger over time. And the percentage that you own is going to be bigger. It's going to be worth more. You really need to sort of understand that and understand how much money am I taking? How much am I willing to give away in order to be able to grow it so that it's a bigger pie for, for everyone? I think that's a really important, you know, piece for people to understand. Some of it also too is that, you know, that ownership. I mean, a lot of people come into business and, you know, the reason why they do it is that they want their own lifestyle, they want to be able to call their own shots. Um, you know, they want to be able to build a business that they um that they're happy about and that they make all the decisions. That is a perfectly uh, understandable position for somebody to take and, you know, a lot of people just want to do that. 
If that's the case and they really don't want to have anybody else helping them or working with them or even making some of the decisions with them, then venture capital may not be the right thing because you're going to give up some of that as well. You're going to have maybe a board of directors and they're going to be uh, you know, working with you, but they're also sort of your boss at that time to say, here's how your performance is. You know, you're doing good here. You're not doing good here. Maybe in some cases as you talked about, they may come in eventually and say, look, you've done a great job of getting the company to where it is today. But in order to take this further, we really need a new team or we need a new person in your position. Here's what we can do. You're still going to own the company, but maybe you're not the person calling all the shots going forward. So, you know, a lot of that is just give and take. Some of it for, for me is people really realistically understanding what their abilities are, what they do not want to do and what they do want to do and how good their skills are. And, you know, I've invested in people who tell me right up front, look, I only want to take this so far then it's better for me to step aside because I really like the the part about, you know, generating new ideas, going and testing them, sort of building the first part of the company, getting some revenue going and, you know, getting it to a certain level. Then I don't want to stay after that because it's kind of boring to me, right? I want to go back to that early stage again. What about the people who do want to continue going forward? Um, like, is there a specific education level that you expect CEOs to have or uh, experience? Or maybe when they when you do bring on some of that venture, is there a little bit of hand-holding to kind of get that owner to be at a level where maybe they do want to open their doors? They understand they don't know everything, but they still kind of want to be at the helm and are willing to take that help. Um, is that part of the deal when you're talking to venture capitalists like yourself? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think we've gotten into a different, a whole different stage in the world now thinking about education, you know, and I'm a big advocate for education. I always tell even my own kids, you know, that you will never have a better return on investment than getting an education. And to me, that includes, you know, being able to go to college and, and graduating if that's the type of thing that you want to do and you're interested in. However, when it comes to entrepreneurship um, and really all throughout the tech industry now, we're seeing we're putting less emphasis on education more emphasis on the ability to learn and the ability to to uh, to acquire skills. So, you know, I would say having a college degree, for example, or having a master's in business really isn't that necessary for you to be successful. Um, we've seen a lot of instances where, you know, great companies have been founded with people without a, an education. Facebook with Mark Zuckerberg, um, Microsoft with Bill Gates, right? Did Neither one of them graduated from college. Um, but, you know, for both of them, you see individuals who are highly curious people. They're always asking questions. They're very, very smart. They're very studious in everything that they do. It's just a different type. They didn't feel like they needed that education to, to make their business work. Now, you know, for everybody, once you're inside of that business, that's our expectation is that, you know, you're going to be curious about your industry. You're going to be curious about what's happening. You're always going to be looking for new ideas. You're willing to really sit down and study things out think things through. Those are the types of skills we look for more than necessarily, you know, you have an education or a certain degree. Yeah. Um, the, I think the traditional college route is is starting to lose some flag. I think it's matter. It, it, it becomes like a, a timing thing, right? So we live in an instant gratification era. I don't want to take five, six, seven, ten prerequisite classes that have nothing to do with the thing I want to learn about. And today we have the opportunity to actually find that thing we want to learn about and then spend all our time in it. Um, when, when it comes to education, I always find that the you don't really know something until you try to teach it to somebody. Then all of a sudden you realize what you know and what you don't know. 
you wrote a book literally doing that, trying to help teach people this entire process. Tell me about the book you wrote. Yeah. So the book I wrote is called Transformative. Uh, it was about you know four years in the making. And it really comes from my experience as an investor, as a CEO, as somebody who's coached uh, you know CEOs and other leaders and organizations. And it really started with this question for me about what makes really highly successful companies successful. You know, we think about uh, companies that just started seemingly from nothing with a really brilliant idea. And then, you know, they go build this great company. And I really wanted to kind of peel back, uh, you know, the cover a little bit and look inside of, of great companies and identify what are the things that they did that would help other companies to be successful. And essentially, you know, it came out, we came out with three things that, that I looked at across all of these companies. And they include, you know, companies like Apple, like um, uh, like uh, Zappos, if you're familiar with them, with Amazon, uh, Airbnb, Uber, and others. There were really three things that, you know, we found. And, you know, those are, number one, uh, that they develop an innovation strategy which shifts existing markets. Um, a lot of times we think about, oh, you know, companies started a new market. They go after, uh, more often than not, existing markets and turn them into bigger markets. And they develop an innovation strategy specifically around that. Two is that they have a real focus on market leadership and how to grow the market that they're going into. And then three is that they have a particular focus on the inside of their organization to create a company in which uh, they can fully utilize their workforce, that you know they have a culture that people are excited about, they have a mission that they've focused on, and that they're able to move at a faster pace than, you know, than their competition at learning, sometimes even failing, and then being able to adjust to that. So, you know, those three things I incorporated into the idea of, uh, you know, building uh, uh, an innovation strategy, knowing how to retool your organization to make it successful on the inside, and then innovating to win the, the entire market, not just win, you know, with a particular product or be competitive. Yeah. And again, all those steps, I, I think they're, they're phases in a company, right? Like they, they don't all come at once. These are things that are kind of built into place, whether it's like, it, like you're talking about the innovative part, retooling. Sometimes you don't understand you need to retool something until you realize that there's a bottleneck in your, in your business and you got to come, come and kind of fix that. Uh, what's your experience been like as an author um, going from the VC side to now you have this book that you're out here marketing? Yeah, you know, it's an easy transition for me because a lot of what I've written in the book and a lot of what I talk about um, is really sort of a product of my work as a VC. So, you know, I spend a lot of time working with CEOs, talking to them about what they're doing. And to me, one of the, the things that I enjoy more than anything else with uh, authoring the book is the number of entrepreneurs I have coming to me saying, you know, I'm excited to read your book. Uh, I've been reading it and here's how this has helped me. And, you know, I had one, uh, one CEO who reached out to me just recently said, you know, I had a really successful first company. I sold it off. Now I'm starting my next company. I read your book and it caused me to rethink um, how I'm going to build the next solution for my customers and, you know, thinking about how they're going to put that into practice. So for me, it's just completely fulfilling. And it's sort of like giving a little bit of a manual of how I would approach a company, you know, as, a, as an investor, maybe sitting with the CEO experience speaks volumes, right? Like uh, when people start a business, they started with a problem that they're trying to solve. Very few started with an exit strategy in mind. Um, and it, and I, I kind of wanted to shift a little bit as, as the market and the economy is shifting. I'm starting to notice uh, as I talk to more people in the VC space, in the, in the acquisition space, um, burn rates 
there are a lot of companies that have a lot of burnt high burn rates that was okay when money was really inexpensive um and today i i'm kind of getting the vibe that vcs are looking at these companies with large burn rates and kind of keeping their distance what's your experience like uh for some of these companies that aren't showing a profit right up front but are building maybe massive followings databases those sorts of things yeah, absolutely. So we've seen a real shift in the last year uh, in particular, you know, and to just, excuse me, just to put it simply, you know, a year ago, money was kind of cheap, um, you know, interest rates were low. So investors were putting a lot of money in and it was sort of like you could grow, at, you know, faster than maybe your business was keeping up just by spending more money, acquiring more customers, bringing people on now, <clears throat> excuse me, where money's getting a little bit more expensive. Uh, we definitely reduce that. And so most companies are looking at how do I save a little bit? How do I really more cost effectively acquire new customers and bring them on? I don't want to be spending more money on a customer than the revenue they're going to bring me. That's one of the big metrics that we look at. And people are okay with growing things a little bit slower. I think that's good because in the end of the day, we're not wasting a lot of money on you know running faster than a market is able to keep up. And, you know, frankly, that's hurt a lot of companies right now who maybe took a lot of money a year or two years ago. They took it at a very high valuation, meaning, you know, we we valued the company at a certain level. And now we wouldn't value the company at the same level. So they kind of have to take their time to grow into that price that we paid or that a VC maybe paid earlier on. The reality is you look at most of the companies out there, including the companies that that I've talked about in my book, and most of them take a long view. It's not about how do I scale this company in the next year or two years? It's how to build a really sustainable company over time that you know is going to be successful. It may not be worth a billion dollars to an investor next year, but it could be worth billions down the road. And the way that they do that is really focusing on how do I do something that's unique, um, you know, that is valuable to our customer and that I can defend against other companies coming in and doing the same thing. I mean, the, the growth uh, is, is always great. The slow is always great, but technology is always rapidly changing. So I came back to class, uh, this week and I was excited to share with my students how on November 30th, 2022, the internet started to change with open AI. Um, there's a lot of AI technology out there that is bringing, it's going to make a lot of things, uh, obsolete. How is that or does it even affect uh, your space as you're looking at different companies with that are either utilizing, staying away from, or being replaced by AI? Yeah, certainly AI is going to affect a lot of areas, maybe almost every single area. And I think, you know, we need to look at how we incorporate it in and work in it. Uh, in my particular space, which I do a lot of investment in cybersecurity, we're actually seeing AI being very, very effective at stopping threats that are out there today, kind of learning what the environment's like understanding what a threat might look like and being able to identify it, you know, uh, on its own without human being involved. We still are in, a, in an environment where humans now need to be involved once they've understood that it's a problem and being able to intervene. Eventually, AI will you know, be adopted there as well, and we'll see AI taking more action. And if we don't, we know that a lot of the threats, a lot of the bad guys that are out there today that are uh, creating a lot of these cyber threats, they're using AI to figure out the type of attacks that that you know that they can perpetrate. We're going to see this across all different areas, whether it's uh, software development, engineering. If you're in marketing, you know if anybody's used uh, OpenAI, the ChatGPT, you can create some really nice materials with it, um, you know, and and have it write information for you or write you know even marketing uh, you know content. 
So there's a lot of ways that it's going to be involved out there. I don't look at this at a, as a black and white where, you know, it's either good or it's bad. I think the way that we harness AI, the way we work with it, and in particular for younger people, the way that you start to understand AI and that you can incorporate it into your work, it's going to make you so much more effective um, as an individual and make you more valuable in the marketplace if you know how to harness AI and use it to your benefit. The tool itself is amazing. Uh, yesterday, I had a lady on the show who is a PR uh, person, and she was talking about how they're using AI to help with language barriers as they hire VAs to bring in some of the marketing stuff. I was like, that is so genius. I mean, utilizing the tool for your industry is the best way to take advantage of it. Oh, yeah. All right, Mr. Absolutely. Kilmer, um, you are obviously looking for people to come work with you. If people are looking to hire you to get your book, how do they do that? What's the best way to get in contact with you? Yeah, so they can go to my website, uh, which is williamkilmer.com, or they can reach out to me directly by email. My email address is william at williamkilmer.com. So it's pretty easy. Simple. And what, what are they going to find there? When they go to your website, what, what, are they, what information's there? What, do you, what, what would you like them to do? Yeah. So, uh, so if they go to my website, they're going to find the principles behind my book in particular. Um, and, you know, they'll find some articles that I've written, particularly on the tech industry, on, you know, innovation, culture. I mean, I have a whole blog section there that, uh, that people can go to and find more information. So what's your, what's the, uh, what's the goal here? Uh, you've been in the venture capitalist space. You wrote the book. Um, is this like a, is this your exit strategy here? One of your exit strategies, or is there like a, a, a goal that you have intended for, for what you want to accomplish here? Yeah, I think it's all the same, which is I really enjoy working with entrepreneurs. I enjoy working in innovation and helping to build great companies. It all fits into that same ultimate goal, which is, you know, to work out there with people who are just really brilliant and driven and want to create something great and helping them do it. All right, I'm going to stick you in a time machine and we're going to go back. If you can go back and talk to 17-year-old students who are sitting in a high school class called Financial Algebra and they're chilling here listening to you talk about venture capitalists and they're thinking, man, I don't know if I'll ever be there. What advice would you give them to help get them started on that way, on their journey? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I can remember when I first learned about venture capital, I was probably you know, 22, 23 years old, went into a venture capital firm to talk to him about a, a summer internship. And my jaw just dropped. I'm like, this is what you guys do. You get to play with really interesting technology and companies and, you know, help them to grow. So, you know, what I would say is if you're there at this point and you're thinking about this is a, this is an interesting area for you, go out and look for mentors, talk to people in the industry. You will not be uh, turned away by almost anybody that you approach to say, I'd really like to understand what you do. Can I, you know, can I come in and talk to you? Can we, you know, can you uh, go to me, go to lunch with me? Can I shadow you for a day or two? Uh, you'll find so many people that are just willing to help you because they want to give back. So find good mentors, find people who are willing to coach you along the way, help you understand more about the industry that will open so many doors for you. You mentioned uh, you mentioned internships, and I know being 17 year old, you just want some change in your pocket, right? You want to be able to pay some stuff. Um, and you've also worked with a lot of entrepreneurs who've sacrificed that at the very beginning and have achieved some tremendous results. Um, when you're considering working at McDonald's for some change in your pocket or entering internship somewhere where you might aspire to be, how would you how would you 
explain that to somebody? How would you value one versus the other? Yeah, well, you know, I think they're going to be two totally different environments. But, uh, you know, if you look for an internship, if you, you know, talk to a, a company and you can get in, you're going to find maybe it's, uh, you know, it's a little bit uh, different from what you might find in fast food. Uh, you might find it sometimes even a little boring. And uh, but I think what you'll what you'll end up with is you going around is really learning and sort of gleaning a little bit of the information about what's happening there. More than anything else, you'll make great contacts and uh, you'll probably make a little bit better money by uh, by doing an internship with a with a company than you might at a fast food place. Doors, uh, you're able to to just try and test out, right? I mean, I I, I glad we, I'm glad we had the discussion on the education front because at the end of the day, today especially, college isn't for everybody, but the internship is still an education, right? It's still you're going in and learning something because you're curious, and it gives you not only the experience, but it opens doors to places you never thought might even be a possibility for you. Uh, and it's amazing that you know, I get to talk to people like you, share your story with our students so they can kind of see, look, there's other options. There's different ways and different walks of life, and there's different entrepreneurs who've, who've succeeded in all those different ways, and they're, they're out there. Uh, as we're as we're running uh, low on our time here, I want to make sure I give you the floor. Any final thoughts? Uh, you share with us whatever you like. Talk about your book. Final thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I would just say along that education front, what matters is that you're just always being curious. You're always wanting to understand things, learn a little bit more. Whatever that environment is, that's critical. The best entrepreneurs that are out there um, are humble enough to realize that they don't know everything. And they're always seeking to learn more in the areas that are most important for them. Um, that's the most important thing I've seen. Uh, as we go back to my book, that's what I've seen in the leaders in those in those companies. Most of the leaders that did fantastic in these companies and built amazing companies have never even worked in the industry that they went after before. So had no idea about that industry going in, but they learned it, figured out how to do something completely different, and it was better. Than, uh, than what already existed. And it was because they were curious and they were open-minded. So whatever you do, just always maintain that curiosity. That's it. Curiosity didn't kill the cat. It opened the door. That's what I think. It's a, yeah. it's a whole different ballgame today. Uh, Mr. Kilmer, before we head out, I got one question for you. Any okay. relation to Val Kilmer? Oh, don't I wish. Don't I wish. <laughs> yeah. It's always been asked, you know, for years and years, but uh, not that I know of, unfortunately. <laughs> All right. Sounds good, my friend. Sounds good. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. Have you been on a couple podcasts? What was your experience like uh, on our show compared to any other ones you've been on? Uh, I've been on many, many podcasts. And I have to say this one, my experience is high energy. This is great. You know, I love, love the time, love the opportunity to talk to you. Perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, transformative. If you are in a business and you're thinking maybe you need an exit strategy, maybe you want to find out about growing and taking your business to the next level, then I suggest you guys check out his book. It's called Transformative. You can get it on his website. Go to www.williamkilmer.com, williamkilmer.com. Send him an email if you have any questions, william at williamkilmer.com, or you can find him on social, transformative underscore leadership, uh, all those different places. Curiosity is how you're going to get there. Might as well pick up a book and learn a little little bit about what's going on from somebody who's been in the industry for a long time doing exactly what you want to get done. Mr. William, thank you very much for coming on the show. Ladies and gents, we'll catch you guys thank on you. the next one. Peace. And we're out. It's over. Go home. Is your business in need of marketing? Try starting a podcast. 
but not just any podcast, podcast like a pro. We can show you how to take your business from being invisible to becoming a brand people trust. Go to www.businessbros.biz to get started today.